0: welcome to the neurodiverse love podcast i'm mona and i was married for 30 years in that relationship for 32 and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage and i've been divorced five years and together we have an amazing adult daughter who's thriving and doing fantastic And today I have another wonderful guest on the podcast, and I'd like to welcome my guest, Carrie McLeish. Carrie, welcome to the NeuroDiverse Love Podcast. Thank you
1: so much.
0: Yeah, I think our conversation today, Carrie, is going to be so helpful to both partners. And I'd love if you could just start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about kind of why you're doing the unique work you're doing.
1: Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So um, I'm. I've been married 31 years um, to my husband Nick. In fact, it was our wedding anniversary yesterday. Um, oh, happy yeah.
0: anniversary! <laughs> thank
1: you. Um, we have two wonderful sons who are now in their mid twenties. And actually, my journey and we, but we only discovered we are in. An, I am in a neurodiverse relationship, but we only discovered that, like you, about 10 years ago. Almost exactly 10 years ago. Um, And my journey through that and discovering what that meant and the challenges of that and and still being in the relationship um, 10 years on has been alongside a journey from exhaustion to living a more restful life. The two things have sort of gone side by side. Um, I was got to a point of total exhaustion just over about 10 years ago, thought I was... um, had some terrible disease went to the doctor thought i was going to be told i was dying um, basically told me i was fine um, <laughs> i knew i wasn't fine and what i realized was i was just well not just i was exhausted i was mm-hmm. exhausted in every way and that sort of started me on a journey to discover what rest was what it meant what it looked like how do you do it uh, for myself um, and alongside that we also discovered um, the neurodiversity And I think one of the things that I also discovered in that, not at the time, actually, but a bit later on, was that one of the reasons for the exhaustion, not all of them, definitely not the whole thing, but one of the reasons for the exhaustion was the relationship, how I was in the relationship, how I was trying to make it work. So, um, yeah, those two things have gone side by side. And the last 10 years have been a very interesting journey. Mm, mm,
0: Thank you so much for that. I'm so looking forward to having you share kind of the journey that you've been on and what you've learned and what you're teaching others, because this isn't a topic that I've talked about on the podcast at all. And I've been doing the podcast almost three years. And I think that many of us who are in neurodiverse relationships, and no matter what our neurotype is, I think oftentimes we're trying to do what is best without even knowing what is best because we haven't had those conversations related to our needs and our wants and our different um, neurology. So I know when we met to talk about this podcast, you shared something that I think is so interesting that you've really looked at five different areas that a, neurodiverse couple or the individual partners can get really drained in these five areas and just get to that point of exhaustion, which I'm telling you, Carrie, I was there before (laughs) we were a neurodiverse couple. And so I'd love if we could start by talking about what those five different areas are. And then I'd love to start with the emotional exhaustion piece, because I know that is the area that a lot of folks talk about. So can you share with our audience a little bit about the five areas that you focus on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And maybe just before that, to just reiterate what you said, is that rest, I don't think, is part of the conversation today. It's not on anybody's agenda, and no one is giving us permission to rest. It's not something I get talked about anywhere, really. Um, I think it's it's something that so many people not just those in neurodiverse relationships obviously but are living exhausted um exhausted lives right at the bottom with very empty tanks so I think it's one of those missing pieces of the puzzle. You know we know about healthy exercise and we know about healthy diet and I think a healthy rhythm of rest and work is a is another piece of that which would really make a difference to to life. Well I know it does. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, and I think the thing going to, to, to answer your question about the five areas, um, physical rest is the thing that most of us know about. Physical exhaustion is the thing we're a bit more familiar with. So many people I work with, they say, oh, I, you know, I don't rest. I, I don't know how. I, I can't just sit and do nothing. Um, so discovering that there are other ways of resting or other types of rest than just physical rest um, is life-changing I think and certainly was for me so I think there are as I said as you said five different areas I think you could divide it up in different ways but this is what I find most helpful so there's physical exhaustion um, mental exhaustion emotional um, social and spiritual are the five areas that um, I'd like to talk about and it seems to be other people resonate with so um, physical is the one we know. You know We're exhausted in our body. We're tired, physically tired. And that might come from doing physical work, um, whether that's something like cleaning the house, looking after small children. Um, you might have a physical job, nursing, or something that requires physical activity. But actually, most of us these days, our work isn't physical. It's yeah. mental, emotional, social, maybe spiritual as well. So, um, and that's obvious maybe in some um, particular jobs. So I don't know if you were an accountant or a lawyer or a teacher, maybe even, you might be using your brain a lot. And you also, you're physically, uh, you're mentally exhausted at the end of the day, um, mentally drained. Um, on the other hand, if you're a, a counsellor or um, working with, um, again, well, maybe teaching is emotionally exhausting so actually at the end of the day you may not be physically tired but you may be emotionally exhausted and socially is one of those is an interesting area i think because it depends very much on whether we're extrovert or introvert um where we get our energy from and um all of us need um connection with other people and we also need time alone and for each of us that is different the amount of those two things is different um, but finding where we regain our energy are you craving time on your own or are you craving time with others um, so find and social exhaustion or um, exhaustion in the, your connections with other people um is an obvious thing if you're in a job that's con you're constantly in conversation or interactions with other people all day and at the end of the day you have just you've had enough <laughs> you've had enough of those conversations the spiritual um area, the fifth area I think is perhaps the one that is least understood, Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's an area, it's about, I'm not talking about faith or religion, I'm talking about spirituality in its broadest sense here and it's really that sort of issues around identity and um, values and belief, um, that sort of inner being and I think probably during the pandemic people got more spiritually exhausted, maybe didn't realise that was what was going on. But when we're dealing with the big questions of life, you know, and and in the nearest diverse relationship, there are often big questions about identity, or should I stay in the risk relationship, or it might be questions about should I change jobs, should I move house, what happens after I die, you know, who am I, um, what what's my purpose in life, those sorts of questions, which we all ask, and they take time and energy and when something like the pandemic happens we're all dealing with some of those big questions um, and it can be exhausting and we don't realize that that's an underlying area of being drained and exhausted on top of whatever else we're on wherever else we're doing. So it sort of resonates or makes makes sense.
0: Oh Carrie, I mean the first time we talked everything you said made total sense. And, you know, I just, as we were starting to have our first conversation, I just kind of went through the list of five ways in which either partner or both partners can be exhausted and need need rest. And Mm -hmm. I realized that my ex and I were probably exhausted in all those areas, didn't know why we were so exhausted in all those areas. And I know one of the things that helped me kind of move forward and heal was really resting. And I didn't understand sometimes why I so desperately needed to rest because I had burnt myself out in so many ways trying to, you know, heal a marriage that in the end wasn't able to be healed with us being together. Um, you know we didn't know about our neurodiversity for 29 years of our marriage so i know a lot of the listeners are going to resonate with what you just opened with and shared as far as the five different types of exhaustion and rest that we need so i hear oftentimes carry especially in my the support groups that i run whether it's the couples groups or the groups for the neurotypical non-autistic partners that the emotional piece is really one where they don't, they don't even know or realize how much they're giving. And this can be for both partners because, and I'll just kind of open with this because I know I have a lot of listeners who are autistic and a lot who are not autistic, holistic, neurotypical, however they define themselves. And I know a lot of um, autistic folks shared that the emotions sometimes are inside and they, because of alexithymia, they may not understand even the the feelings and emotions they're having. But, and I remember this with my ex-husband, when the weekend came, he would sleep sometimes for 14 hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'd be four o'clock in the afternoon and I'd have to walk in to the bedroom and say, do you realize what time it is? So, you know, I'd love if we could kind of peel back the pieces of the emotional um, challenges and exhaustion, and maybe you can share a little bit more in depth about how that may have impacted your relationship or others you've seen, and what are some of the ways that folks can rest and, you know, become renewed?
1: Hmm. Mm. Yeah, so um, I think the sort of emotional capacity, because in each of those um, five areas, you can be drained or full, but also you have a a capacity, um, which is different, just like any other, you know, physical capacity, we all have different um, energy levels and physical fitness. And I think in in terms of emotions, we have different capacity. Um, but I think it's one of those things that we don't realise, the emotional energy we don't realise that we're using. And as you said, I I had spent a lot of emotional energy in trying to um, make my marriage into something that I thought it ought to be, um, which had come from, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful places, films, books, you know, my parents, right. um, you know, that was, um, and it was exhausting because it wasn't something actually that now I realized was possible. At the time, I didn't know it was, um, that was the case. Um, and, you know, and my husband was also trying to make the marriage work in his way, but the emotional energy um, that was used up was huge. And it doesn't, we don't count it. You don't look back at the end of the day and think, goodness, that was an exhausting day because. Um, right you know which you might in some of the other areas emotionally it's very hidden and in families and in childcare, if in the um in the family you're in you've got lots of people who are different in different ways trying to um understand and um connect with people who are different is emotionally exhausting um for everybody and so but recognizing that and realizing where your levels are, where your levels of emotional energy are, is not something we're familiar with. It's uh, something we need to learn to do. And one of the things that I have found helpful in being able to measure that, I and mean, it's, a, it's a silly thing, really, but for me, I think about if I had half an hour to watch TV now, what would I choose to watch? so if I've got a lot of emotional energy I might be able to deal with the news or some harrowing film um whereas if I'm really low on emotional energy I want to watch I would want to I'm not saying that I would necessarily do this but I would want to watch um I don't know a, a nature program or a film that I've watched 50 times before and I know has a happy ending um and, and particularly again during major world disasters, I found I couldn't watch the news very much. But, you know, I yeah. probably didn't watch it at all because actually I was low on emotional energy, and just watching the news and hearing the trauma around the world was emotionally draining too. So finding ways of being able to be able, become aware of and notice where your emotional energy levels are is a is a good place to start. Um, because awareness is often uh, a great beginning in finding a way forwards, I think. Yeah. Um, If that makes sense.
0: Totally. It totally makes sense. And I I always say, you know, that self-awareness piece was missing in my marriage in a lot of areas, again, because we didn't understand each other's neurology. So I think one of the things that I share with the couples who come into the support group is I say, you you need to find a way of communicating what's going on in your body and your mind in your world with your partner, even if you don't have the words to use. So I can imagine and I'm, I'm not a news watcher either. I'm a highly sensitive person. So when there's a lot going on, I can I don't even watch the news anymore. I get it on my phone. But um, I can imagine That when you've had a really hard day at work, you've had to deal with, you know, a crisis after crisis. The last thing that you can handle when you walk in the door, and this could go for either partner, is to hear how difficult your partner's day was. But if you do not share with your partner that you've had such an emotionally draining day and they want to share with you and you're not available Then they might take that personally and they might get upset. It could turn into a conflict and create more emotional havoc. So, you know, my suggestion to folks is always to find either a code word or use a particular color like I'm at red, which means I have nothing left or I'm at yellow. I can talk for a little bit or I'm at green or a code word that's funny or something you both can relate to. Because that emotional overload, I would imagine, or exhaustion, can turn into conflict over and over again. Any I, thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, when we're when we're exhausted, when we're you know we're not at our best, are we? Um, in any in any of those areas, um, you know, if you think about well, I'm, for myself, I know when I'm tired and exhausted, I'm impatient, I don't listen very well, um I'm ratty, um I don't um I'm not very empathetic. And so when you're in that place, being with someone else um who maybe have needs as well, we're not at our best self. So the best thing to do as you say is to communicate that in some way and, and we have a sort of um a 10 a one to ten thing, mm-hmm. number thing. You know, I'm I'm I've got absolutely, I've got I'm one <laughs> in my um capacity at the moment so I just need some time out um, and uh, you know I'll see you in half an hour um, yes yeah, so absolutely being able to recognize that and communicate that and and perhaps I should say here I'm I am not an expert in neurodiverse um, relationships I'm I'm part of loving difference I'm a coaching loving difference but my although I am in I haven't the experience of living in a neurodiverse relationship. I don't have what I would call any expertise in that. Whereas my co-coaches um, Natalie Roberts and and Heba are are the experts in that in that area. So my expertise is in the rest, and I learn a lot from the people I work with, who are some of whom are neurodivergent and. Um, some are neurotypical, or neurotypes, um, I learn a lot from them. But my experience is more around um, knowing how to rest and recognise when you're tired, and that works for everybody, those um, skills, and that's what I talk about, the art of um, effective and um, intentional rest is relevant to, to both. Um, yeah. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. And, you know, we all have our own lived experiences. So we usually speak from those lived experiences and the lessons we've learned. And these things that you're sharing are lessons that you learned when you found out you were in a neurodiverse relationship and you spent, you know, 10 years figuring out or maybe less figuring out how to get the rest you needed and how to help heal yourself so that you can be the best version of Carrie. And I think that's what our, um, the listeners want to hear and they will absolutely resonate with, with your story and your experiences and what you learned along the way. So the emotional piece is a big one. We talked um, a little bit about that and connected to that is probably the mental exhaustion So do you want to share a little bit about what folks may see and how they may see themselves as mentally exhausted and not even know it and ways in which they can move towards some rest and maybe some healing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, certainly for me that the mental piece was probably as big as the emotional piece, because there just seemed to be so much trying to figure out life, figure out how to do this relationship, trying to figure out and understand my partner, um, was using a lot of mental energy and and anticipating where, um, you know, issues might arise with the children or in a particular scenario. It takes a lot of mental energy. So I think I was um, particularly exhausted mentally, and emotionally and um, again just a little thing to to um, that I find helpful to work out where I am on that is is what I would choose to read if I had half an hour you know would I choose to read that report that document that needs looking at um, and if I'm exhausted absolutely not I have to have a lot of energy to read something like that or would I read um, a novel a magazine or actually just stare out the window can I actually not cope with anything and just yeah. staring out the window and when I was at my most exhausted the, the two things that I was able only two things I was able to do really comfortably um and that helped was staring at trees I couldn't yeah. even walk very far I was so exhausted I couldn't go for a long walk but staring at trees was something that really helped and then it put things in perspective and it was peaceful um and the other thing was watching Endless NCIS, if people <laughs> listen to NCIS. <laughs> it's, it's just a sort of um, crime, American crime who done it type thing. Um, and, and bizarrely for me, I mean, I felt so guilty when I was at my most exhausted. I could watch four of those um, back to back um, and I just felt so guilty about it. But what I worked out as I learned a bit more about rest and particularly emotional and mental rest, what I discovered was that there was a reason why I was being drawn to that. They were 45 minutes long. Um, I curled up on the sofa with a cup of tea. It it enabled me to switch my brain. It was engaging enough for me not to be thinking about anything else. But I I didn't care. (laughs) I wasn't emotionally engaged. I didn't care about any of the characters and it didn't end on a cliff edge um you know cliffhanger um it was all nicely wrapped up usually at the end um and I just knew that I relaxed and just um topped up just a little bit at the end of it from where I had been to start with so that's a slightly bizarre example um no, but it's even- perfect it's perfect <laughs> <laughs> and, and you'll, you'll be pleased to know that I don't now watch four episodes of Um, NCIS a day because I was at that point thinking oh my goodness is this my life from now on am I only going to be able to do this Um, but now but I do know that if I'm particularly exhausted it's a very quick win to 45 minutes cup of tea on the sofa one episode of NCIS and I just know that I can switch my heart and my brain off and just um refill with an episode of NCIS Um, yeah. So that's just a you know a small example, but um, in terms of both those, the the mental rest and the emotional rest, for finding something that is engaging um, that engages your brain but doesn't tax your brain for, for mental rest um, is really helpful. And that can be, so it could be something physical. And this is something that people uh, often don't imagine that something active can be restful. So it could be a creative thing. It could be um, a physical exercise, which if you're not physically exhausted, can be really restful um, mentally and emotionally to do something that's physical exercise. Um, If you're emotionally exhausted, it might be something, um, it could be something mental if you're mentally um, fairly well stocked, if you like, you could do something like a crossword or a um, it might be something, again, creative, um, something that is engaging or emotionally restful it would be something that maybe someone else is caring for you or something that it helps you to be cathartic, maybe journaling or mm-hmm. a film that allows you to cry or um, going for... Doing something energetic that actually allows the emotions to move through and work through your your body um, can actually help restore and refill your emotional tank. Yeah,
0: I love that. And I love thank you for sharing both of those or, or all of those ideas about the emotional and the mental exhaustion, because I will tell you. During, uh, you know, I've said this on the podcast, after um, I realized that I needed to take a break from my marriage, this is before we knew we we're a neurodiverse couple, we took a, we we separated and it was supposed to be a six month separation. Well, it turned into almost two and a half years. And during my separation, the emotional and mental exhaustion was overwhelming. And I know for me, one of the things that I did, and some of our listeners might relate, is because at the time I considered myself such an extrovert, that I would call friends and I have mm-hmm. a list of probably, you know, 10 friends and I'd go through my list and every day I'd call a different person. Cause I didn't want to overwhelm one person with all the emotion and just cry, just mm-hmm. cry and share. And they really just gave me hugs verbally, you know, over the phone. Sometimes I'd go and meet with them in person too. And we'd do something um, fun or enjoyable, but, Harry, the one thing I remember when I was so emotionally and mentally exhausted was that even when I was attempting to do something fun with friends who I loved and felt safe with and trusted, it was almost like I had to, for lack of a better word, mask, I had to pretend like I was having fun. And so it helped for, you know, an hour or two or whatever, but oftentimes I would come back because the exhaustion was so overwhelming and I wasn't healing properly, I'd come back and still cry. So I just want to tell our listeners that that was my experience. And if you're having a similar experience, it may be because your body has just been in this state of exhaustion, emotional and mental and other ways for so long. Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one, because when my, my, I was in my place of total exhaustion. I didn't have energy in any of the tanks because I think you can borrow energy from one tank to help you to rest in one of the others. Um, but if you're low on across the board, which is where I was, then um, you really need to start very small. You you need to do very little. And I I sort of talk about that as the celery question. You know the I don't know whether it's true, but people say that um, eating celery you you use as many calories eating it as you gain from it mm. um, and with with resting when you're right down low you need to find things that take very little energy but give you um top you up in one of those areas so something like um you know staring at a tree or sitting and watching a particular thing on tv not anything but an intentional something that you know is going to help it takes very little energy but it will top you up um so yes and finding talking to friends you need to find the the right friend um and the right way of doing it you know it, you probably may not have the energy to go out and meet them for a coffee somewhere so a phone call might be it takes less energy but you get the the, the filling yes. still if that makes sense i was talking one so- of Um, clients this week she was saying that um, she gets energy from being with other people but she finds being even with friends when she's exhausted is more difficult than being with strangers so she'd rather be with strangers because she can get the buzz from the social interaction which she loves but she doesn't have to engage in any way emotionally or relationally with them which is quite interesting so and it said so there's not a I'd love to say there's a list of these are the things you need to do to rest um and you can just tick them off and you'll get topped up but it's a such an individual thing and learning for you what is how do I recognize when I'm low in each of those five areas and um what do I need to do what is restful for me what are the restful practices um that will top me up in each of those areas. And it's about experimenting and playing and trying and, and then noticing, You know, do I feel better or not? Do I feel more topped up or not? Um, and I suppose one of the other things I'd also say is, particularly around something like television, there's what I talk about fake rest and intentional and effective rest, two very different things. Um, So, you know, we all have those moments when we just sort of collapse on the sofa and we just sofa and we just sort of flick through our phones or we channel hop or we just think, lie in bed and think, I really ought to get up, I really ought to go and do, but you don't. It doesn't, that's not working. It's not draining any energy, but it's not putting anything back in. Whereas discovering that actually this show and someone else I was um, working with said Time Team. I don't know if you know Time Team, it was a sort of an archaeological dig program for some Mm -hmm. reason. That was the one she and she hadn't realized what she was doing but she was coming home from work and she was sitting down with a cup of tea and watching an episode of that every day and she hadn't clocked but actually that was something where she could sort of switch off from her day at work didn't require anything of her just gave her brain some sort of time out um, before she got on with her evening um so it's finding the specific Thing. and it doesn't have to be tv of course there's you know 101 other things you could do um which it you know, might be your thing whatever whatever that is um yeah yeah it's learning I, what's right for you
0: right and being aware that you're exhausted and i again i mentioned this earlier for those folks that are autistic or neurodivergent and have alexithymia it may take the help of a coach or a therapist. Mm-hmm. For you to understand when you've been triggered repeatedly or so uh, challenged in, you know, your emotional or mental capacity or um, challenges that you don't necessarily know you're at that breaking point, And then you come home and I hear this over and over again and you either shut down or you melt down and That leads to conflict. So understanding who can help and guide you, whether it's books, podcasts, or a therapist or coach, to understand when you get to the point of emotional or mental exhaustion will be really helpful, I think, for everybody. But I know for those folks that have alexithymia, that can be really difficult. So let's talk a little bit about the physical exhaustion, which you said is is probably the thing that people are most familiar with and can understand the most but thoughts on how you help people in that area to recognize it and then to get the rest they need
1: yeah and i mean just to go back to what you were saying there just to to add to that but um for me my journey the the two things went together the the sort of realizing or understanding or coming to be aware of the you know diverse relationship i was in and the learning to rest really went side by side and i had um Natalie Roberts, in, in who you know now leads Loving Dis- Difference, um, I met her very early on in that discovery which was so helpful because I don't think I would have got to the stage of learning how to rest so well without also learning how to recognise just what I needed and rediscover who I was because I'd lost who I was in the relationship in trying to make it work. I'd sort of lost who I was. So those two things sort of go together because I needed to be able to articulate to my partner my husband what I needed and that I needed this time out and I needed rest um, which I hadn't wouldn't have been able to do without the help as you say from from a coach and someone who um, could help me to recognize what was going on in the relationship and and I knew I needed rest but I didn't know how to to get that or give myself the space. Um, to take the time to do that. So just to say, those two things um, absolutely go together. I mm-hmm. think um, interrelated. Um, and in relation to physical um, rest, again, it's it's the things that um, you know, recognizing when you're physically exhausted, and maybe I think maybe we're better at doing that. So you know, you if you think, could I could I go for a could I go to the gym now? Could I go for a long walk? Mm, No, probably not. Could I go to the supermarket? If if you don't even feel up to going to the supermarket or getting dinner ready, um, you know, you're quite low down on that scale. And and what your measurement is for that is quite, um, it's personal. But I think we're probably a bit better about that. And finding the physical rest is, again, you know, is it reading, curling up and reading a book? Is it lying in the bath? Is it taking a nap? Is it um, watching some tea or listening to some music, um, something that is physically restful, or is it having a massage, or is it um, you know soaking your feet or massaging your hands, or um, yeah, I mean there there are so many different ways in which you can, can do. I love lying in the sun if the sun's mm. out. Um, that is so for me. That is so restful. I can feel um, my body coming back to life by just sitting in sunshine. Um, yeah, that's beautiful
0: I, for me too. I, In fact, yeah, I didn't yeah. realize after my, after our daughter was born, which was almost 27 years ago, um, I was working on my PhD. And I remember going outside, we lived in an apartment and going outside to the table by the pool and doing all my schoolwork or a lot of it um, out there because we lived in an apartment with just really one window that looked outside. And I realized that the sun was so healing and relaxing Mm. and rejuvenating for me. And I know not everybody feels that way. But I, I think what what you repeatedly are talking about, is that this is so personal, you know, this is about you finding your groove, what makes you more relaxed and more at peace and more balanced. And also recognizing when you're exhausted or beyond exhaustion, and your tank is either empty, close to empty or below empty, which we know if we had a car, and our gas tank in our car was below empty, it's not going anywhere. In fact, we can do a lot of harm you know, to the to the engine if we're trying to start a car with no gas in it. So I, I love the analogies and I love the examples that you're using. So anything else that you wanted to share regarding the physical rest? Yeah, I
1: think the other thing that I find people um, seem to resonate is is the physical senses and how um, and, and both for um, all, all neurotypes, I think, but perhaps particularly, uh, I have a couple of um, clients who, with ADHD and and an autistic client who find this really helpful, um, because our our senses can get overwhelmed. And so we can rest our senses if we're aware of which sense is overwhelmed. And we can also use our senses to rest. So, um, you know, if you're aware that you've been in a very busy visual environment, or you've been on screens all day, um, it may be that you're tiredness is actually a, a visual tiredness. And just literally lifting your eyes up to look out the window at the sky or the greenery, which is restful for your visual senses, can can help that, can help reset that and restore that. And all those rewords that you were using, rejuvenate, regenerate, um, revitalize, all those rewords. words um, Or it may be that you've been in a really noisy environment all day, that you work in a really noisy environment. So what is it that will... Um, help your senses that rest your senses is it music is it silence um is it nature is it nature um, noises um sound of water what is it that that helps with your hearing or if it's touch if you've been um physically in a in a wearing an outfit for work that is um either uncomfortable or rough on your skin or you know tight on your feet Coming home, that sense of you know putting the baggy sweatshirt on or the snuggly under a, a fleece or something on the sofa, um, or you just a pair of socks to walk around in, or lying in the bath, you know. Well, actually, you can use one sense to rest the whole of you, um, as well as resting the sense that's overwhelmed, um, or having something to stroke. Um, can you can just feel your body? Um, coming back down to a rested place at the end of a day. Um, and that's obviously a physical um, element of resting, um, which yeah. is, I think, for some people helpful. And if you're if you're exhausted, you can actually use your senses. You know, do you find listening to music restful? You know, use your ears. What sort of or is it listening to water? You know, there's so many ways in which we can listen and see things today. Um, that uh, we couldn't do a while ago. And so we can make the most of those to be resting and being more rested. And it's finding the um, toolkits where I talk to people about finding a toolkit that you, you gather along the way so that, because when you're exhausted, you can't think what would be helpful. You know, exactly. you can't think, oh, you know, what what would be helpful for me to do now to to restore me or to re-energize me. So learning and having a, a a collection of things that you think I know that if I'm emotionally exhausted, I can, you know, go for a walk outside, you know, listen to the listen to some music. If I've got 10 minutes, I can listen to one song or I could um, look at some photos of my children or, you know, have a whole list of things. Or if I've got a whole afternoon, then I would drive and see a friend or whatever it is that your own little toolkit that you can um, have that's quick. And I and you can even do that just having a little box available where you sit down for a cup of tea, because often if you sit down for a cup of tea, you think, oh you know, I'm, I'm exhausted, or oh, perhaps I could look at that magazine, or perhaps I could look at those photos, or, but you've sat down, you know, and you haven't got the energy to get up and go and get it, but to have a basket or a box, I have a, a basket of things that I keep, you know, with a different things that I found restful in them to hand, so that you don't have to go and find it, um, just to help.
0: I love that, I love that, and I always, I always tell folks that, You know, when you're in the middle of something is not the time to think about the strategies and tools that you have to, that you have a list of and to figure out which one you're going to use. It's better if you can have them at the ready, be prepared, have kind of worked through them ahead of time. So I love that idea of a rest. Toolkit. That's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the social exhaustion because I do hear this a lot from autistic partners, and especially when uh, they've spent so many years in a relationship where their partner has repeatedly asked them to engage in socializing and social events that they didn't even realize exhausted them. And again, created challenges in the relationship. And then they find out, oh, okay, we're a neurodiverse couple. Now I understand why all that socializing had an impact on me in a different way than it impacted my partner. So what are
1: some of the things
0: that that you've seen folks recognize when they're socially exhausted?
1: Yeah, and as I say, this is so different for whether, because I'm a a serious introvert. (laughs) And I only realized that about... I suppose about 10 years ago, because I love people, I love conversations with people, but I find that draining and exhausting. And if I need to recharge, if I'm low, I need solitude, time on my own. Um, And so that's communicating that and helping my partner understand that was quite difficult because it looked like I didn't want to be with him and I actually can't, I need to rest on my own, which is without the work as I've saying before, without the work with with Natalie and with Loving Difference of being able to communicate my needs um, and even understand what they were, um, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I don't think. Um, so for me, it's it's finding um, yeah that solitude which needs to be I'm not um, almost not available. You know, I can't, I just need to be on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for other people that I work with, they absolutely. They need more connection and communication than they're getting in their relationship. So finding friends that they can phone and chat to or carving out time to go and um, meet up or even go away for a night or two with with friends is the thing that tops them up being in in and around other people. Um, And again, it's learning and discovering where you are and, and where you yeah, and it, I suppose recognising what it is you're craving, I think that's something to... Because there's no right or wrong, and there's no ought to. Um, and actually, my husband is probably more of an extrovert than I am. He enjoys socialising more than, more than I do. Um, and one of the things that, again, um, uh, Natalie introduced me to this idea of having a... Um, not understanding the other person and their needs and particularly around social because that's that's how you come together isn't it often that's Mm -hmm. um how you connect um and so not trying to understand the other person which is what I've been trying to do for years I you know I love I think I'm quite good at understanding people I think I'm quite good at being empathetic but I couldn't understand the person who I wanted to understand most that was closest to me. it just I couldn't understand it so coming to a place of not trying to understand, but accepting, um, accepting each other rather than trying to understand and um, not trying to make our marriage into something that I'd imagined that it was going to be, but starting again with a blank sheet of paper. So, okay, what what could living, Nick and Kerry living together, what could that look like? Um, not... Trying to make it into something, you know, where we had these deep and meaningful conversations, and you know, my sort of social, deepest social connection was with my partner. Um, not that, not trying to aim for that anymore, but just saying, okay, you know, this is how you are, and this is how I am. What does the two of us being together look like? Um, and and what do you need that I can't give you socially, or what do I need? The solitude, which you know, you might not understand but you perhaps need to accept that that's something that i need so i don't know if that answers your question i feel I've rambled yes. in the answer a bit but no, um,
0: that was perfect carrie and i think you know um understanding if we're an introvert or an extrovert and and what i've realized over the years that being an introvert just means that really instead of reaching out to others to be re-energized, you need solitude, you need time alone. Doesn't mean that you don't enjoy being with people. And then an extrovert, which is what I had been probably until COVID, was I needed to process everything with other people. I wanted to talk. I wanted to, you know, cry and bond and all that stuff. I think um COVID turned me into an ambivert, which (laughs) um, you know, sometimes I'm more of an introvert, sometimes I'm more of an extrovert. It just depends. And I think the more we understand what we need socially and what we need to um, re-energize after being social is really important. And I've said this many times on the podcast, just because in the beginning of your relationship, you and your partner were very social you know, you probably were both both on your best behavior, you wanted to, you know, be together a lot more often, you wanted to bond, you wanted to get to know each other. But you know, understanding what you each need socially, and figuring out, you know, where you can get some balance. So if one of you really enjoys going to family events, and the other doesn't, can you go to less or fewer family events or when you're at that family event, you know, the person who doesn't enjoy them only goes for an hour or you take separate cars. And I've talked about that over and over again. I wish I had known that these were options during my marriage or at least brought them up. But again, you don't know what you don't know. And you think that what other people are doing is the norm. And that should be how you are in your relationship. And I say this over and over again, whatever works for you and your partner is what works. Your relationship is not a family project, a community project, a church or a synagogue project. It's for you two to decide. And as long as you're, you know, in agreement, then that's what will probably work. And it could change, you know, for six months, you enjoy doing things this way. And this keeps you both on an even keel most of the time, you know, for the next six months or the next six years, it could change. And it's okay. So so let's talk about the last one, which I think um, I loved how you defined this, the spiritual exhaustion and it having to do with identity and values and beliefs. So can you talk a little bit about what you've seen that looks like the exhaustion piece and what it means to rest or become kind of re-energized in that area?
1: So yes, the, um, the spiritual um, exhaustion is, as I say, perhaps the one that we're at least familiar with. But I think it's a really important aspect of life. and And I think one way of recognising that is thinking about what sort of questions you're actually able to cope with at the moment. So can you think about some of those big questions of life you know what happens when I die could I move do I want to move house how am I thinking about my relationship my health my finances my job those bigger questions my identity Um, or can I only think about what we're going to have supper tonight and that's it you know that's the end of my um capacity for thinking about those sorts of things and so for different people um Finding what um, feeds your soul, what restores your faith, um, what gives you perspective in life um, are the sorts of things that help to feed you and fill you up. If you have a faith, then there might be things around that. Um, But whether you have a faith or not, being in nature um, is often a way people find of connecting. or refilling spiritually or it might be listening to music or it might be looking at something beautiful paintings or flowers um and so having the capacity to be able to have those sorts of conversations with yourself and this it takes space and time for those sorts of um that spiritual rest that way of restoring your spiritual energy, if you like. Um, But it's not something that we talk about very much or are used to thinking about, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the things I hear about often from the non autistic partners is I've lost myself. I don't even know who I am anymore. And then what I hear from autistic partners a lot is I've been masking or pretending to be somebody so I could fit in in a neurotypical wor- world and I don't know who I am anymore. And I think, you know, again, the way you identified um, this gap in your life, you know, being spiritually exhausted, you know, your beliefs, your identity, your purpose, your soul's calling, you know, when you've lost those things, you're probably at the point of spiritual exhaustion. And again, you may need a therapist or a coach or a good friend who understands how to listen and support you to remember, you know, what you What you were, what you wanted, and to figure out how to move forward and get some rest in that area so you can be your best, most most authentic self, whether you stay in your relationship or don't, and so that you can be that in your life
1: absolutely i was just i was just going to say that that that's an area where you may well need someone else to help you whether that's a spiritual director or if that's something that you would seek or someone a wisdoms from somewhere whether that's books or or a, a therapist or a coach or um somewhere you know like loving difference where there's space and other people around to support you working that through and rediscovering who you who you are and, and yeah, refinding that self that maybe you've lost along the way is spiritual work, I would say. And, and, you know, hugely important.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, one of the things you said when we first met was that stress and exhaustion often go together Mm -hmm. and I couldn't agree more. And when you're stressed about your relationship and you're stressed about maybe raising children and you're stressed about your work and you're stressed about your family, it can lead to exhaustion in one, several, or all of these areas and Carrie, you've given us so many fantastic examples of what the exhaustion could look like in these areas, as well as strategies and tools for resting. So I'd love to know if there's any last you know, thoughts or words of wisdom you want to share before um, you also let folks know where is the best way for them to contact you.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I think actually probably what you've just said there that the connection between tired, exhaustion and stress is a, is a really helpful thing to recognize because I think the two things go together. As you say, that, um, stress is really exhausting, but also when you're exhausted, things seem more stressful than they otherwise do. If you're well-rested and full of energy, lots of things, just you, know, you can just do them without thinking, but when you're exhausted... Um loads of even tiny things feel um, stressful. So the interplay between those two things is something just to recognize. And so learning how to and rediscovering how to rest well um, can help with stress as well as being able to enjoy life. Um, so and the and the last thing I would say is that rest isn't all about. Just recovering, that there is a place once you have learned how to rest and you become more rested, it gives you a way of enjoying life to the full um, that you can't do when you're running on empty. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. And I know too many of us are, you know, juggling so many things because we're on call 24 seven with our work or our family because we're carrying around, you know, our phones. Um, It does probably lead to burnout and exhaustion that we may not even be aware of. And then it can lead to physical, you know, and mental health issues that, you know, we could have addressed if we had learned how to rest. So I think there's hopefully a lot of people who are not only going to benefit from the podcast, but hopefully we'll be able to reach out to you to learn more about the work you're doing. So I know you have a website is that the best place for people to reach you? And if so, if you don't mind sharing your website address?
1: Yeah, sure. So I do have a website, it's rest for life, restforlife.com. And um, the, um no, I've said that wrong, actually, it's, it's I've given it to you, I'm just going a little bit blank here but i think it's <laughs> www.restforlife.org is the website and kerry at restforlife.com is the email address and you can also find me in loving difference with with natalie and heather um and i work as a rest coach in there with with those two experts in neuro um, diverse relationships and it's another space uh, to discover how to rest well as well as um how to find yourself in your neurodiverse relationship.
0: Awesome. neurodiverse Thank you, Carrie, so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I know it's going to be helpful to a lot of the folks out there that are in neurodiverse relationships or are in the process of moving on from a neurodiverse relationship, whether they're autistic or they're neurodivergent in some other way, or they're holistic or neurotypical. This has been a wonderful conversation. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I really appreciate you sharing it with our listeners.
1: Thank you, Mona.